this week on Glistening Particles. We all have something to bring. And I think if you're faithful to whatever that tiny little step is or that tiny little sentences or mm-hmm. that tiny little glance or that pat or that spending an extra time with somebody or that moment when you're speaking to somebody to just open your heart to what they're really saying and take them in and let them feel that they've really been heard. All those subtle little things. Mm-hmm. Those are the journey. Those are the things that takes you towards being an artist, towards being the truest version of yourself, towards making the world a more beautiful and a, and a better place. This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. This episode of Glistening Particles is sponsored by Forest Founders. They're making reducing our carbon footprint easy by doing one of my favorite things, planting trees. And it's so simple. With a small monthly subscription, you can be sure trees are planted every month, thus growing our forests and reducing our carbon footprint. Visit forestfounders.org today and join me in this amazing reforestation project. And for more about Forest Founders, check out episode 141 with their founder, Ford Seaman. I'd like to welcome to the show Paloma King. She's an artist, a painter, in fact, in Belfast, Ireland. And she's been a friend of mine for some time. And one of the things that I can say about her is she's one of the most interesting storytellers that I know. And her painting and her artwork are from a life lived recognizing beauty and seeing beyond what many people see and then bringing it to her work. Here's Paloma. Hi, Paloma. I am so happy to be sitting here talking with you again. Thanks, Jen. I'm delighted to be talking with you again as well. (laughs) Um, The reason I reached out to you, and I'm so happy you said yes, is that I've always been really curious about painting. And so I thought, what better way to stoke all these uh, inspirational flames than talking to a series of women who are creating art like yourself? And you're the first one. So thank you for joining me for this. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah, it's really amazing to me how many people seem to have this real desire to paint. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I go, I mean, you know, if you're in a taxi and the taxi driver says, you know, what do you do, love? And I say, oh, I'm a painter. And he says, oh, I love painting. I love painting. When I was in school, I'd love to be a painter. You know, And then you're in, you know, buying perfume or something and the girl saying, you know, something, what do you do? I'd love to paint that so lovely. Everybody gets so excited. The woman in the fruit shop, nearly <laughs> all the time. There's hardly a day when somebody doesn't tell me they want to be a painter. I just think this is so fascinating that this, this um, 
desire seems to be so inherent in us. I think there's a people have a natural desire to want to dance and they want to be able to sing and make music and they want to be able to paint. It seems to be in everyone this kind of desire. And I suppose with me, it was just, you know, people say, how did you become a painter? And I say, well, I just did it and I liked it and I kept doing it a lot. That's really, you know, all it is, it's just doing it. And I think that, yeah, I mean, it's not just obviously as simple as that, but I, what I'm trying to say is I think there are these things that call us towards things in our lives. Like it's it's like a force of magnetism and there can be quite subtle little um, of nuance, you know, little subtle things that call us in a certain direction. And I think as children, we're very prone to just run after that thing. If it's to jump and dance, we just run and do it. And if it's to play something, the bang, you know, the bang. I remember I bang a new table and my little niece used to sit on the table when she was about one and a half and bang the top of my new table with forks and spoons and make all these drums. And I had to let her. And those little marks are so precious to me that were on my table because that was her <laughs> little childish connection with music and herself. And I just love them. But um you know, we do it whenever we're young and then we start to prohibit ourselves from doing those things and we say, oh, they're silly and you can't dance outside, somebody might see you. And so we start to cut ourselves off from that and that, those things that are calling us all the time. I think one of the reasons I'm an artist is that for some reason in my family, well, to me anyway, it seemed very important in life. Life for me was all about doing things that you wanted to do, <laughs> just to have a good time, to have fun and just do things that you like doing and enjoy it. That seemed to be very important to me. Whereas now I look back and think, why wasn't I really focused? Why wasn't I focused on being really successful and making lots of money? Because I'm sure I would have been good at that if I had it in my head to do it, but I never did. It was always about doing something you know, that was interesting or challenging or learning things and growing and exploring. It's funny, this thing that, that, that is in so many people, but I think that we don't give it a place of importance you know, you might think I'd love to paint and, and maybe throughout your life you've had thoughts, thoughts that, but you didn't give it at the time importance to do anything about it because we think, sometimes I think when the world we live in, it's easy to think these things are trivial mm-hmm. because we have to have goals and we have to have, you know, even in the new age sort of movement mm-hmm. and it's all that, it's, you know, dream big, have these, and especially because maybe, you know, I live in Ireland, so we didn't have this like dream big, you can be bigger, you can be better, you can go further, you can be richer, you can live in a bigger and bigger <laughs> house. We didn't have all that stuff. We were just more like easy going, but obviously there are lots of very successful people in Ireland. Like, but just as part of the psyche, you know, I used to be fascinated by Americans. Whenever I went to America, to America at first, I was fascinated by the people, by their, I just thought, I, I loved it. You know, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, you could be anything here. This place is full of dreams and expansion. And whereas at home, it was more, you know, just sort of more easy going and <laughs> have a cup of tea. And maybe that's why Ireland has more poets and writers and musicians and filmmakers and sculptors and all those. There's a sort of a way, there's a sort of um something in the air. I think places have things in the air. Certain places have things in the air, like a way, like a speed, a sort of relationship to time that when you go into the place, mm-hmm. you sort of merge with that I mean, I remember going to France. I had a friend who lived in Avignon. I just love him so much. He's so gorgeous. Uh, he's a doctor. He's a doctor, but he's very fat. And I just love this fatness. I love that about him. He's not a bloody fat. He's a big, strong, fat, you know, solid. He's not like right. really, really fat. He's just lovely. He looks like Father Christmas or a big snowman or something. And he's so cuddly. I'm never there. I feel so safe. 
Mm-hmm. And he's very still and very, very intelligent. Whenever I was in France, yes, out walking around on the Saturday morning with Eve, and we'd go to the market and he would stop and talk to his friends for ages. And I'd think, man, I'm getting tired. You're never going to stop talking to these people. <laughs> this is thing. And then more people would join the group and there's six of us. And I thought, right, let's go now because I'm hungry. And then he, he said, well, we are eight people. Let's all go for lunch. So then he went to a restaurant and got a big table. And we all sat outside and spent another two or two oh. more hours together. And we chatted and we talked to everybody, moved on. Other people would come with their prams and their babies and we'd all pass the baby around. And it was just so, that's so much time to talk. Mm-hmm. and so much time to be together and it wasn't like a quick how are you things are good that's great how's your daughter keeping great keeping great getting married next week oh that's fantastic lovely the way just passing on it was all right. this time for each other and I know that in this life he has really good friendships and you know that's just one aspect of time that I think it's easy I think it's not everywhere that has that and that every being has that openness towards each other whereas in the south of France they seem to have this real no I think that I agree with you like I, I haven't traveled to those places to know that like firsthand but the way that you're describing it like when I see images of Ireland I think who cannot just like pause and reflect and and be inspired just from the land just from the land itself to create the way that you do or Whereas maybe in New York City, you know, the the energy that's there is go fast and buy lots of things. You know what I mean? It's like different everywhere you go. Yeah. Yes. And it's about making or seeing those things, having the perspective that those things are important mm-hmm. and that that time spent not doing very much is time well spent. Mm-hmm. And so I was putting sort of being creative and being an artist or a painter or a musician into that the ability to move into those kind of spaces mm-hmm. because so much of for me being a painter is the person that you're making yourself into mm-hmm. it's not so much what you're doing it's who you are when you're doing it and the work mm-hmm. that you put into yourself to be who you are because that then affects the relationship that you have with things so it's you know you can have ideas in your head but it's then when you come to physically mm-hmm. work your hands and your body with the materials of your thing, whether that's a piano or um, singing a song or with paint and getting to know those things and how you develop your knowledge of those things. And I think that's how you develop your knowledge of the materials to make a painting is just a continuation of the rest of where your life meets physical objects in the world you know like how you make a cup of tea and I have a friend she makes me coffee and every time she makes me coffee I could nearly cry because she puts so much work into it so much <laughs> love into it she takes Aww. so much time she's going to say hi are you sit down love the table says sit down and make you a wee cup of coffee she's so cute she's so tiny and it's this <laughs> lovely gas cooker and she says you know those Italian things that come in and go out like that you know those yes. little wee things and you put the coffee in, she turns the gas on, she'll have a wee chat, and then she'll maybe look for a wee biscuit. And then she, she frosts the milk herself, you know, it's a wee pumpy frosting. Uh-huh. And then she picks a cup, you know, that she thinks I'll like. Do you like that wee cup? 
and she put the cup out and and then she poured it out. She does something else and she pours it out really nice and then she's a wee frothy bit. Then she sets it down to me with so much love, just as if mm-hmm. she's setting the wee bird in front of me. And it's like something, there's, just, there's so much love in that little coffee. And so what I'm saying is that everything we do is in everything that we do. Right. So I think that how you, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm like that. Every time I make a cup of tea for somebody to say, that's the nicest cup of tea I ever had. And that's one of the things I'm so proud of <clears throat> because I listen to the person who's a big man, might want strong tea in a big mug with hardly any milk. And I pick them of all the different teas. And I pick them, you know, double strength tea bags and make it with strong. If I want sugar, I'll mix the sugar in before I put the milk and make sure it's really dissolved and really sweet. And then just enough milk to make it sing me, but not over milk. It's too, you know, it's all this. And then they go, oh, that's a nice cup of tea. <laughs> and that's like, you have to bring that to you. So what I'm saying is the thing that you bring to painting is the thing that you bring to everything. And that's another thing. And to be a, an artist of any kind, you have to be very, very okay with failure and very, very willing to stand in your failure and absolute despair and absolute because so many things so many parts of painter, painting so I just go into the studio I just go oh no is that what I've painted is that it? oh it's so bad it's so bad and you do a thing you're all this and then you just look and it's all wrong and you wreck it and so you're constantly having to <clears throat> that was one of the things I had to learn actually I learned from my when I was married to my husband he was an artist and when I would get things wrong, I would run across the fields. I'd be so upset. And so I just felt I couldn't do it, that it was too hard for me and I couldn't do it. And he says, you have to develop your strengths. You have to develop power to stay. When it's all gone to shit, you must develop that power and not run away and stand in the uselessness that you feel. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and that was a really, really big lesson. I think that's another part of being a painter that people don't think was you have to stand in despair and loss and failure and the conviction that you can't do it. in fact every time I started painting I just think I don't know how to paint I don't know how to do it <laughs> so you have to become familiar with all these horrible things that are not very <laughs> nice to be familiar with but they build every time you know they're building some depth some breadth and some depth in you and and then that's the thing that makes you willing to take the chances because you have to always be prepared that's my dog can you hear <laughs> Always be prepared to lose what you've done. You can never be precious with something that you're painting. You have to always be prepared to wreck it. Can you describe your style of painting? Well, yeah. You know, when I started painting, I was quite young. I was just having a go, you know, I was just having a go. And then thought, gosh, I mean, that's really good. <laughs> sometimes when you start painting, you do paint things and people say, that's really good, you know. And uh, and sometimes you think it's good because it looks like something. So I started off, you know, drawing things I could see and painting things I could see. And then I sort of started to like um, painters like Matisse and um, start to sort of paint in that style and do that. And then but like Picasso and start that. And then see more painters and blah, 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 blah. And the guy that I was married to, he painted very, very, very realistically, like Rembrandt sort of style. He'd go around all these museums and read all these books, how the old painters and old masters did it and all about the materials and the things they painted on and the brushes they used and blah, 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 all how they glazed them and all sorts of things. So I learned a lot from him. And I would just, as exercises, try to paint these things that were realistic. And after a while, I found it quite easy to do that. Now, 
when I was a kid, you know, I developed, uh, my mother taught me to do embroidery and Swiss embroidery is drawn thread work and also just embroidery. And if I would do something, she'd say, no, you got that little bit wrong. I'd say, oh, it's only that little bit. It's way over there. And she'd say, no, you have to rip it out and do it again. And then I was playing the piano and I had to practice my skills and practice my skills. So what I'm saying is as a little kid, I developed a capacity to stay to stay to remain and to keep at a thing until I was happy so that fed into the painting so I could stay for hours and hours and hours painting to try and get a thing right to try and make it look realistic and I realized people really love it when you paint something that looks realistic mm-hmm. people think that's talented but for me that was more like patience thing mm-hmm. so if you have patience and you develop your eye to hand skill, you can develop oh, it's like an architect or a graphic designer, you can do that. You can develop a skill. But what I was wanting to do was make paintings that were beyond that. That was like a restriction to me. So it got to the stage whenever I was at university that when I was painting something that looked like something, I would set out and I wanted to look, you know, sort of like a landscape or a vase or whatever, or a person or, you know, even it was various fantasy objects like I remember painting big princesses I used to make things as hard as I could on thrones gold thrones with like sapphire things and daggers with rubies in them and <laughs> pearl earrings and holding the crystal glass trying to make it as hard as I could to paint uh-huh. these things you know but I, I knew and then you had to get to know how to do them well if you're painting pearl earring you know you put a cold, cool shadow on one side and a warm shadow on the other I just knew how to do them and I was starting to get bored so it's I would be getting bored halfway through the painting because I knew the destination mm-hmm. And I didn't want to know the destination. I wanted there to be mm-hmm. an openness and I didn't know what it was. So anyway, I decided near my last year in art that I was going to give up. And I packed up my whole studio, painting this beautiful ballroom with a big half main window. I could see over the whole city and all the birds flying and it was lovely wooden floor. And I packed up my studio. It's just before, pardon me, the final show. And I had all this stuff. And I went down in the lift, this big lift, because I was way up high. I went down the lift and I thought, I can't, I can't, I can't give up. So I went back up again the lift. And then I'd say, oh, I can't do this. I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. And I go back down the lift. Anyway, I eventually came up on the top of the lift. And I thought, I'm going to paint exactly what I want, but I don't know what that is. But I know I'm going to start with preparing a big canvas and I'm going to start doing something to it. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I have no, no clue. But I wanted to make it a charcoal grey and it started there. So I just started with, instead of a big vision of what the painting is going to be, like it's going to be a landscape and a tree and a river and a gate and the sky and the clouds or anything like this. I just started with, I know I want to have a canvas this size and I want to put something grey on it. That was So my knowledge that I have is minuscule mm-hmm. of where it was going to go. But I just wanted it to have a surface that made me excited, that looked worked on, that looked like I'd spent time on that I'd like, devoted myself to it that there was something mysterious that was that some the mysterious things that I found within myself mysterious thoughts about God and about reality and about truth and about infinity and about what it is to be a human being in a body and to have this soul or to make a soul and to be living in the world and growing older and expanding and seeing things as just all these kind of things it was something of that I wanted to be in the painting not a gate or not a pot it was really then that I feel that I started to paint Mm -hmm. and I remember one of the things that I had in my mind was lines I love lines because I love the look of music I played Mm -hmm. four musical instruments and the piano and music was everything to me the first 18 years of my life I sang in choirs and singer and competitions and operas and blah blah I loved the look of music it always made me excited and the manuscript you know so I I like that and I love books and poetry and I love 
the look of that little note, you know, when you're by yourself and you or you read a line in the book and you write it down, or you just think, whenever you're young, thinking that you write down, you know, Paloma loves Michael or something like this, you know. <laughs> all those little hands, all those little things you don't really want anybody else to see. And um uh, I love those little notes and I love the lines. So these are all the different lines that I love. And I love the lines sometimes on the road. I love the lines on our hands and on our faces mm-hmm. and things like that. So lines were something that I was interested in. So I was trying to make a surface that was something like skin that looked like it was breathing or looked like it was very old. It was layers like a pattern. Now. Like, you know, when you go to Italy and you see all the doors, the paint and the painting, right. or if you go to Pompeii, see all hundreds of years of paint worn off and bits left behind reminiscence of something that had gone before and I love that I love that idea of time and the past and something that was old but had a, a beauty um, because I I'm aware that we're all getting older I'm going I think I'm going to get older and I don't want to hate getting old I want to right. <laughs> be beautiful as I get older I want to have beauty and I want to make something that reflects the passage of a human life mm. that there is something new on top of this something older that is beautiful and worked on that's giving stability and strength and depth and richness to the thing so that's sort of what my paintings I hope have this sort of like a they're very worked and uh, they're very 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 multi-layered so there'll be loads and loads of layers on them and things put on and taken off, but trying to create a beautiful, a beautiful surface. So I have a great knowledge of paint and how they work all the different colours, work in a different way, like the cadmiums, cadmium red, when we heard of cadmium red, cadmium yellow, cadmium colours, they work in a different way to like the earth colours, this mm-hmm. raw sienna and burnt dumbers, and those, those behave in a different way. They'll dry more quickly. Some colours are very transparent, some colours are very opaque, some colours dispel, like if you put if you have white and you put a little bit of one color in, mm-hmm. the white will go completely deep with that color. And other colors, if you put an, a little drop the same size, even two different blues will behave different ways. The color like cerulean blue will go very, it'll hardly affect, it'll be still very pale. So all the colors and, and, and how to thin them out and how to thicken them and dry them down. Sometimes you want a thin coat, sometimes you want a crusty deep coat that'll last and you can work on it tomorrow. Other times you want to glaze or just scumble over very to give a little transparent effect that you can see through so it's getting to know painters a lot of painters I see today I mean I've done the gallery about a month ago and haven't been in for ages and upstairs and there was packed with paintings there's a lot of paintings up here and I was thinking gosh they're terrible looking a lot of them with horrible colors horrible surfaces very sticky paint and but you know it looked all right in a photograph but and she says, oh, everybody's being an artist now. We're all painting in the lockdown. So we're full of paintings. Everybody's painting. So aren't they fantastic? And I was going, certainly they're shocking. You know, it's just so... <laughs> and, and that's how I know I'm being such a cow. But there was no knowledge in them. And that's something that I want to see in the painting. I want to see knowledge. I want to see knowing. I want to see that somebody's grappled with this thing, that they've worked this thing, that it's not just a swish and a swash. You know, then you take somebody like... Um, I'm thinking of some of the big American painters. What's it called? A guy does the big scribbles. Oh, I absolutely love his work. Willie, like your man, Will, Christopher Will. I love his paintings. But they look quite swishy and right. quick, but there's so much knowledge and surety and experience and ah, just confidence and so much practice in those swishes and swishes that he does and the layers before that and the layers over it oh they're fantastic I just love those things they make me so excited so yeah 
Yeah, and modern art, I think some modern art just looks nice at me. You know, you say, like you say, you just think something, I could do that. And sometimes you probably could because there's not that devotion, I think, or a true artist has devotion. Whenever I was young, I used to think, oh, I'd love to be an artist. And now, well, I never call myself an artist, I just say I'm a painter. But mm-hmm. I say, you're tearing your hair out because you are a painter and you're going to be painting and that's what you do. And it takes everything that you have, everything out of you, all your intelligence, your emotions, your soul, your spirit, your physical ability, your strength. Just takes and everything, you know, it takes everything. And it's almost like you've made yourself into this thing and you're kind of going flip me. You know, you can't, you make it and it makes you, you know, you're making the paintings, but the painting's making you as well because the painting that comes into being is not of your own making. And that's another, that's another whole area that there's things outside you that come through you that make the painting. I remember going into this very posh gallery in London kind of galleries in London you walk in there's a girl behind the desk and she's beautifully really quiet just all oh, this lovely nails lovely hair lovely mm-hmm. teeth lovely shoes lovely expensive bags and beside her and she's very still and quiet and you look in she, go in and she barely looks at you and she just looks at yourself to say oh, let me <laughs> That's the feeling you get. and then you walk around she's looking at yourself to say over her glasses over her very expensive glasses stuff to say yeah what are you in here for? You know, as if you're a messer. But anyhow, I was in this gallery and there are all these big paintings. And then there's a tiny little painting near her. It was only just a little, you know, about eight inches square. And there's a little line drawing of a dove. And, mm. and it looked really inconsequential. But there was something about that that made my heart really start to beat. And I was going, what, what is that? It was just like, it was just on this tiny little wall. But it, blew away all the other paintings to me mm-hmm. anyhow whenever I asked I said I was afraid to speak to her and I said um, <laughs> excuse me um who painted that little dove well then she did look at me and she says well it was Matisse it was Matisse ah so and I why it hit me in this one little line was because he has drawn thousands of doves and mm-hmm. in that little dove was all his love for doves all his love of drawings all his knowledge and his ease he could just go Doobie doobie doo. He probably just tripped. Doobie doobie doo. Right. And yet all his knowledge. That's the other thing that you were saying. This all that knowledge and all his life was spent inside the fence, looking at doves, drawing them, painting them, big doves, tiny doves, that he could just put all that into that little dove. And there it was, so sweet and so perfect mm-hmm. and so pure. And speaking out in that little song, blew away all the big giant paintings that are all around mm-hmm. it. So that's what that is a master can do that. And then on the other hand, there's people who want to be modern artists and they're just throwing stuff around and it's just big swivs as far as I can well, and, and just making there. Yeah, and just making it big doesn't make it great. With um, your work, do you build a relationship with them? Is it to the point where like you have such a bond with them and how do you let them go? <laughs> That's what I always wonder after all of that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is, it is um, hard. You totally build a relationship with the painting. And I remember listening to this thing with Agnes Martin. You might know her, but she said you have to ask for the paintings. You kind of have to ask for the paintings. I mean, sometimes I go into my studio. I've told you I go in and just go, oh, no, no, no. And then other times you finish your painting and you have no idea what you have done. And you look at it and just go, shit me, how did I do that? <laughs> I mean, even that one behind me. And there's another one that used to be over there. You can't really see that very much. You can't, you can't see my paintings. People see my paintings and see them in photographs and then they go, when they come into the room and see them, say, oh my goodness, so much, so completely different because there's a vibe of it. It has a, 
a vibration and a feeling. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had a friend who was a doctor and said if she could, she'd prescribe them to her paintings to her friends to calm them down. <laughs> she brought one for her living room. So she just walks in and the feeling of it is so peaceful. Right. Sometimes, yeah, you don't know how, you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how you're doing it. And I can't reproduce them. I can't get that same vibe. I can't get that thing. And there is a point when you're doing a painting, you're starting off and you sort of, you wreck it a bit, you're sort of going a bit wild and then you sort of go in and you heal it. You sort mm-hmm. of go in more gently to it and then you come in the other day and think, oh, it needs more, it needs something more, it needs more. So you're working back into it and then you come out. So you're going into the painting and out, but there's times never the painting. Sometimes I'm going to painting that I've been working on for months and I'm nearly crying. I have a big brush full of paint or a big thing I'm going to slap paint on some minute ago. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I don't want to do this. And the paint's on the floor and you know you're going to put all this paint on it. Painting on the floor. And there's a big painting side work on the floor sometimes. And you know you're going to wreck it. And you just, oh, don't do it, don't do it. I can't bear it, I can't bear it. But you have to do it because the painting wants you to do it. It's like this thing from outside. And then you go in and sometimes I'm not even looking at what I'm doing. I'm hardly even looking at the colours I'm picking. I'm just lifting things up, squeezing them on, squishing them over, working like this. And I have no idea what I'm doing. And then when you come back, you go, Right, now it's completely different. Now it's really good. Now this painting has energy. Now it's going somewhere. And then the painting starts, you have to, it just, and you just, I don't know. It is like some kind of magic. It's like, it's like something else. It's like being a, a musical instrument and the winds, something's blowing through you and you just sort of go. And that's why, in answer to your question, sometimes I don't feel that I've painted the pictures. I just mm. feel they've come to me. Yeah. And and then whenever they're done, I just like you just can't. People say they don't know when the paintings are finished, but for me it's completely different. But if I have a slight longing to do something to painting, then it's not finished. But when they're really done, I just go, that's it, I can't touch them. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't, that's it. I can't touch it. Even if you sort of you sort of think, okay, no, no, the painting's like forbid you to do it. It's very strange. So there's like this relationship where the painting has its own energy, its own power, its own strength. And so that's how I let them go. Because sometimes I say, well, they're given to you. And then I meet all my clients are actually really lovely people. That's the honest truth. I'm not just saying that. They all seem to be really, really nice people who I like. So I'm quite, and they'll have nice homes because my paintings are quite expensive. So they'll have nice houses. Mm-hmm. So I feel the paintings going somewhere lovely. That would be lots of people would see it and be a part of a family's life. And and it has a place in their home. And that, that's, I feel very honoured to do that. I feel very humble and yeah, that's that's a big, big thing for me to be in the position where I can do that. Right. That yeah. I mean that that's that's what you want, right? After the, you've created yeah. this this thing, this entity, that it's somewhere where it gets to breathe on. So um I'd like to see if you can talk more about what you said about the paintings come to you, because we hear that a lot with poets and musicians, like they're just standing there and the it like it flows into them or they're working, they're in writing mode and it just seemingly comes from someplace outside of themselves. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I'll try. I'm saying yes. And as I'm saying that I simultaneously am thinking no. <laughs> I <don't know> <laughs> well, yeah. But I will just keep talking and doubtless someone will come out. I am right. right. I have to go back to that after all. But yeah, that thing, you see, I think this thing, this relationship that you have with a painting or whatever it is you're doing, just talk about painting, is when you're really painting or just take a quick aside. I hope I can remember to go back there. But a quick aside is 
I had a friend who's a plays a piano, and I don't know whether he's a concert pianist, but he certainly he, he might have been. But he, he was so brilliant, technically brilliant at the piano. He could play. He could play Rachmaninoff. Second, he could. He could play. He could just play these things. He was a genius. He was like a little mathematical scientist. He was like another kind of. Like he just play this piano, he could play the nice piano player. He's like, how's he doing? Just do everything on the piano. But there was something that he couldn't do. There was something that he couldn't do, right? So that's one. He had this technical skill. Then when I was a little girl, I remember going into my house at night and the TV was on and nobody was in the room. Unusual because my house filled with people, but mm. TV was on and I walked in and on the TV screen was this beautiful man. I found him incredibly beautiful looking. It was Vladimir Ashkenazi. I think it's called Vladimir Ashkenazi. He's a um, conductor. Mm-hmm. And he was probably about 50 in this thing and he had very distinct dark features, beautiful nose. And he was just playing two chords. He was just all over the piano and he just went to some kind of seventh or something, two, two, two chords. And they were so beautiful. And he played them so beautiful. I just, I can, I, I'm nearly crying now remembering mm. it. There was such beauty in what he did. And he just made the piano, and he made those chords and those notes. And he never figured out those chords and how to play them in sequence. Just filled my soul with a ecstatic kind of ecclesiastical, mm. <laughs> you know, happiness. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is there is something that artists have. There's something that people can develop. It's not just technical experience. It's this thing. Whatever that man, whenever he touched me, I just thought, I want that. Now I could cry. I'm mm-hmm. trying not to cry. Mm-hmm. It was so beautiful. And I thought, I want that. I want to bring that to the world. That Hold on. No. Um, and I think about like, when you describe that moment that you just had and that you want to bring that to the world with your paintings, right. With, with the art, whatever you create. Um, it makes me think about many other stories you've told me over the years as we've known each other about just the experiences you've had in life. And I think that you're, what I really admire about you is that you go back to these kind? you've had hard experiences. You live in Ireland, for goodness sakes. You grew up in a time where there was hardship. You've, you know, you've traveled all over the Bombs world. You have so many experiences, yet like the way that you share those moments of like utter pure uh, beauty, you know, that's why you are who you are. That's why you're the artist that you are, you know? Well, Thank you for saying that. I was just hoping that 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 you were getting what I was saying, or not, I'm not going. Thank you for listening to me, and thank you for being able to hear that. And and that's that's who you are, and that's why you're doing this job because you can hear me. Because some people might go, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing two chords and seven. So I appreciate that about you. Thank you, Dan. Mm-hmm. But uh, these subtle, the, the subtle things that the painting calls you to do. You almost have to set yourself, like, for example, I would set myself to be a very attuned to my soul, mm-hmm. trying to be attuned to something very true in, in myself that I don't know how to describe. I don't know what it is, but I didn't want to be in the world acting out a role or acting out a part 
or anything like that. I wanted to be moving and breathing and seeing and speaking and living in a way that was an expression of my uniqueness or my connection to life, to God, or whatever it is, that that was what I was here to do. And that was why I was made exactly the funny little shape and way that I am. Mm-hmm. So that the, the best, the highest, I wanted to live the highest version of myself, which to me was like, was being treated as tiny, soft, quiet voice inside that that speaks and learning to hear that little that mm-hmm. little thing so it can show and so I thought well, I'm just going to go along with that in whatever way it shows itself to me so it could be something like I'm going past my table and I think oh I don't like the way the floor I just want to move that floor just right turn it around a wee bit so I'll do that or I'll be walking down the street and suddenly want to go that certain way I'll just go that way so or I'll be looking at my dog and I just think her ears just picked up (laughs) (laughs) I just think I can't say what I'm going to say I can't and I just think I'll take her out or it's just like or if I'm cooking you know I'm cooking something I'm being very sensitive to that what I'm cooking as well and what I'm preparing thinking right I'll just add a little bit of chili there and then I'll just put on a little bit of lemon so it's so I'm list, I'm taking cues I'm listening to this voice all the time mm-hmm. in my day-to-day life and so it's like an almost like a hand-in-hand thing developing a relationship with that element of your being or you know like wanting to read a certain book or just oh, just think I want to open this book at a certain page it's about mm-hmm. just continuously when you can't always remember but just remembering to develop this so it's where you meet the world and the objects that are in the world. You know, sometimes people say, oh, if I my house went far, all I want is, you know, my photographs or my children. Obviously, everybody's saying their children, their dogs or something. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, no, I, I want everything. Everything's <laughs> I want everything. Everything's so important to me. Even the things I don't really like all that much, you know, because somebody gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And or I found it or, you know, I've had it since I was a kid. And it's like, oh, stupid thing. But or like I have a little plastic bunny that it's only like this size that I mm-hmm. keep in my kitchen window because it was my mother's and the little children used to come in. And she used to put little things like raisins or chocolates inside it and give it. To, you know, it's like, hey, you know, but so, yeah, everything's important to me. And then people say, oh, you know, you were just a body, we're just a body. It's the soul and the spirit that matters. I think, no, 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 your body is the most amazing one of the most amazing things in the universe and so it's 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 just it's such a big job it's such a big, it's so it's being uh it's love you know it's love it's falling in love with everything mm-hmm. and opening your opening your heart and your soul and your being up to everything and like even in the conversations you know I see people talking sometimes I'm talking to people they're talking to me and I know that they haven't developed the capacity. And, and I, I, me too, like neither have I. There are lots of people who think the same about me. But I know that there are people, like there's a girl, there's a girl came to work in the place I work just from Italy. And she's so beautiful and quiet. She's just gorgeous. But she, t- she doesn't know how to talk. She doesn't know how mm-hmm. to speak. Mm. And I think there's so much to you. I would love you to know. And I know she doesn't know herself. And so she can't talk to me. I don't think people know how to speak to each other anymore. I don't think people know how to talk. Mm-hmm. And this is a part of knowing how to speak 
you know, and knowing how to listen is part of being an artist and part of how you will make your art, I think. Because relating to objects and things and places and vibes and frequencies and all that comes into how we, we relate to one another. I think we have a lot to learn as a species. And I think that a lot of the problems that there are between men and women, for example, is because we haven't learned how to speak to one another. We're so defensive and so afraid of being hurt. And, and we don't actually physically know how. I mean, I was talking to a wee girl in a I know was buying perfume, I'm obsessed with perfume. The perfumes. Oh, <laughs> really? Absolutely gorgeous wee girl. And um she was saying, Oh, when I get married, she wants to wear this certain perfume, you see. And I said to her, Well, are you getting married? And she's, Oh, I don't know, got this boy, blah, 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 blah. And then I had to call in last week's order something because it's just, Well, are you still going out with that guy? Mm-hmm. And she said, Yeah, but I'm not speaking to him at the minute. And uh, and then she told me something something that he had done and I said just so I'm not speaking to him and I says well how did how did that make you feel what he did just made me feel this way and I said well did you did you tell him that I said no Mm -hmm. I said well how is he going to get to know you or understand Mm -hmm. you if you don't tell him look when you did that I felt like this. Now, it's not necessarily his fault that you're feeling like that because you're feeling like that because, you know, if things have happened to you, maybe he did something that was totally innocent, but you're feeling like that. But you could at least tell him mm-hmm. rather than just say, I'm not speaking to you anymore. And I said, no, I think it's good at times. We have to train men how to treat us. We have to train them. They need to be a bit of help, you know, sometimes. But and the same thing with another girl one time, just going to break up this man because he wanted her to stop her business because he wanted to look after her, mm-hmm. right? So she had this little business, she's a beautician, and this guy was a very wealthy guy, and he wanted her to live in this big house that they bought mm-hmm. together, and he wanted her to not to have to work just to stay at home and look after their baby. Mm-hmm. And all her friends were going, oh, he just wants to control you. That's what she told me. He just wants to control you. Um. And he wants you to stop your business so that you don't have any money and blah, blah, blah. And don't you let him do it. She was up in arms about this. I would love somebody to say that. <laughs> and I said, maybe he just loves you. Right. And she's gone. Right. Do you think so? I said, yeah, maybe he just wants to. That's his way of giving right, you really a really lovely life. You know, right. giving you freedom and, and all this. She says, well, it makes me feel blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, did you tell me? And I said, what do you want? Mm-hmm. She says, I just I really love him. She says, I want to be together forever. I want to have another baby. I want us to have a happy life together. But it makes me feel insecure if I don't have my business because then I, you know, I need money, blah, 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 blah. I says, Well, have you told him that? Mm-hmm. And she says, No, I, I wouldn't know how to, I couldn't tell him that. I says, Right, let's write it down now. Three sentences. So wrote down three sentences. What's your hopes are? Do you want you know you want to be with him? He's really important to you, blah, blah, blah. I want to be happy together and build a future together. And but I have this worry, and then when you say break up, it makes you feel like this. So I went door. I made her say it out loud. Mm-hmm. She repeated it about three. So I couldn't say that. Say it through now to me and pretend I'm him. So she said it, and anyway, she went on to. She says, "I told him, and he cried his eyes out, and I cried my eyes out." She says, "And we're getting engaged, and now they're married and have another baby." Oh, jeez. Does she still so, have her business? 
I think she does, but only yeah. part-time. Yeah. I think people are like, I was like that a lot of my life where I couldn't express how I felt. So I totally get it. And I'm not like that anymore. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really, it's just utterly life-changing because it doesn't mean that every time it means that, you know, they cry their eyes out and you get married and, ha- and live happily ever after, but that's nice. But it could also mean that it's over and now there's not all this like going down the wrong road and you can get on the right road. You know what I mean? But Absolutely. I think mm-hmm. what what you're describing about the way that you live your life is that you're just very present and connected to every moment, moment to moment. You know, you're when you're painting or when you're out or when you're doing you know, you're having a conversation, like this is probably officially the quietest I've ever been on a podcast because I'm just enjoying soaking in all your storytelling. So um, well done. Yeah. It's like people, it's like this, they're tuned to achievement. Yes. They want to achieve certain goals in the days. People seem to be very focused on achieving things. This girl I know owns a business. She's so focused. She goes all these courses how to get more out of your staff. And I can see her pressing her Mm -hmm. staff. It's a sort of quite a creative business. And I can see this, the staff getting pressed and pressed and pressed to do more and more and more Mm -hmm. and monitor what they're doing. And this morning I did this and blah, blah, blah. And they are getting burnt out and they're going to lose your creativity. It's going to cost this company money. It's going to cost the company money because she's not letting them breathe. Letting them pause a little chat and a bit of laugh together, you know, and, in the office just have a little breathing moment or mm-hmm. let somebody go and just you know go and have a little bit longer for lunch because they want to and they come back and be, they really like appreciate that extra 10 minutes and because it's a sunny day they want to sit outside and there's a key just let her sit out for another 10 mm-hmm. minutes and eat her sandwich outside and then she come back happy and appreciate the 10 minutes but everybody seems very goal orientated and measuring everybody's measuring us it really drives me crazy so it's hard to know what you can say to people to break that it's like a spell of achievement mm-hmm. right. of goal orientation and you know all those kind of metrics there's a lot of metrics mm-hmm. in people's lives now and I don't know I think that's come in through purposefully being trained in school mm-hmm. like that young guy who was in with me yesterday who was um wearing a mask I said I can't believe how all the young people are wearing masks like you're you're outside you know why are you wearing a mask outside and there's no requirement now to wear a mask outside it's all over over here and he's just he says I think my gen-, he actually said he says and he was a scientist he said I think my generation has been trained in the way they're grown the way we grew up to be compliant and obedient mm. and I said like in my generation we never did what anybody said you know, <laughs> never paid any attention the government tell you what to do. The government tell you go into a restaurant and put a mask on, then stand up and take it off and sit down, and put it on. We would all be killing ourselves laughing. We'd have been roaring up. We'd have been lying on our backs laughing. The government's lost their mind. Why don't chase yourself? You know, there's no way we would. Like, everybody's going in. I'm thinking, what's the matter with people's heads? You know, but there's something. Yeah, there's something for people who are looking. I think if you do that sort of goal orientated thing for a certain amount of time, that's why a lot of people are actually going to yoga classes, going mm-hmm. to meditation classes, going to mindfulness classes, because they're looking for something more. They mm-hmm. feel the dearth of, and they feel the absence of that connection. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say, to be quite honest with you, mindfulness does my head in. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that's quite cerebral as well. And remembering to be present. You know, 
Whereas to me, it's more relationship thing. It's a fascination. It's a curiosity. It's a, lo- it's a love thing. It's a love thing. It's a love. It's um, a heart thing. It's a soul thing. It's um, it's as if the world itself comes to meet you. It's mm-hmm. not as if, you know, I'm so great. And I'm remembering to be present. Anything like that. It's like the world. If you certain open up your self to a certain way it's like the world goes hello i saw this man walking with those two walking sticks you know usually it's people biking and i saw him a couple times and i'm like that's interesting that's i I thought maybe he was going through like passing through to some other place but then i saw him again and i stopped and talked to him and it was so interesting here he's a retired um, he was in the military. He's retired, and he's training to go walk the Appalachian Trail for six months. So he lives oh a goodness. town over. He had just such an interesting story, and I had interviewed someone on the show that did the Appalachian Trail and started this really cool hike the good hike nonprofit. And so, like, I had a story, a relatable story. But the main thing was just seeing this person who's probably like in his sixties who had always wanted to do it. And now is making the commitment to do it. And he's training like every day out there. And I thought like that exists like five miles from my house. I always think it has to be somewhere else and it's right there, you know? So I think that's part of what you're saying. Like everywhere we go, just opening up to the world, saying hello to us and noticing it and, and taking the step, you know, like when the world gives us that like little wave, like stepping into it versus just turning away from it. Exactly. Know? That's right. Yeah. And I think that once you do your little, once you respond, mm-hmm. like you're saying, you respond, man, you respond. You've got outside, sometimes got outside just to breathe the air. And now I think we're spraying this is chemicals. But before they used to spray, used to go outside and breathe the air. And it was so beautiful. I, thought, I mm-hmm. love being a human being. I love breathing in the air and breathing out there. That is so gorgeous. Just breathing right. in itself is such a beautiful thing. Breathing in and breathing out. And if you stop breathing, you're dead to this right. <laughs> insignificant little thing that you don't even think about. Just breathing right. in and breathing out. The birds are breathing in and breathing out. And the trees are breathing in and breathing out. It's so beautiful. God, I think, Flip, I love this place. It's so gorgeous. Like, it's so crazy and wild, you know, right. just from breathing. I know. And, and it's the more right you there. give, the more the world brings to you. I think the more you acknowledge and the world brings you more. It does. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a few questions, but I was like, I've just been enjoying this so much. I haven't even looked at them. Um, one of the things, and I think you've answered them all. Cause I think you read my mind. Um, but one of the things that I remember when we talked a long time ago, you had said, and you kind of alluded to this today when I expressed an interest in, an interest in painting was, um, like be creative and notice beauty everywhere around me. So, like you said, the flowers or like what I hang on the wall. Do I love that? And why do I love that? And is it bringing me joy or that, you know, that little thing that I saved from when I was growing up that might look like nothing. Like, oh, here's an example. Um, I've been doing a ton of like change in my house with paint and, and color and all this. And I had this needle point that my uh, grandma who immigrated from Germany to the U.S., you know, I don't even know, probably in the when would it have been? Turn of the century? A really long time ago. Anyway, so she emigrated to the U.S. with my grandpa and um, her sister in Germany did a needlepoint for her. And the needlepoint is like this very like um, 
seductive Spanish woman in this like dress off the shoulder, thick brown hair, necklace, and these eyes like looking at you, like, you know, luring you in. It's a needlepoint, like a big, like it's probably like two feet by three feet, you know, maybe two feet by two and a half feet. I don't know. It, it's quite big. And it hung over her chair in her living room as long as I knew her. So when she passed away, we all got to go to the house and pick something. And I'm like, for some reason, I picked that needlepoint. Not because I could ever imagine hanging it on the wall anywhere in my house, because it was just so unusual. So it was sitting in the basement for a long time. And I brought in a designer to help me look at my house. And so she sees this needlepoint and she's like, well, tell me about this. And I tell her, she's like, that has to be on display. So we put it up in my, it's in my dining room of all places. And, um, and it, it makes me so happy every time I see it. Like when I was redoing the house, I was thinking a lot about you, about how you talked about just like being a creative person, isn't a brush on a, on a canvas necessarily. It's, looking around everywhere in your life and, and making sure and looking, is this beautiful? Do I love this? So I think that was such a great story that you shared again today about that. And that's how people should really get started. Well, I think as well, you know, people like a friend of mine told me recently that she wanted to write a book and everybody says, people are always telling me to write a book. They're always saying, oh, you should write a book. You should write a book. She's like, I would love to write. That's what I want to do now. I want to write a book. And she's a great reader and she could write a great book. I would love to read it. And so she says, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. So I says, well, as a painter, you know, if people want to paint, I just say, well, buy a brush and some paint, you know. So I said to her, buy a pen. I said, how would you do the book? Would you do it on a computer? No, 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 we do it on a computer. I want to write it, write it like Hemingway. I want to be like Hemingway. And I says, well, buy yourself a pencil or a pen that you like and uh-huh. a book or some paper that you like. And that's the first step. And I says, then whenever you have them, you have to open it and you have to write something. Yeah, because you have to be you have to wreck the book. Right. You know, when you get new books, you don't want to ruin them. So you have to write this, write some copy out something or sign it or something. So it's just right, right, right. So the phone, well, have you bought a pencil? Yes. No, 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 no. Have you bought a pencil? No. Have you bought a pencil? No. Have you bought a book? No. Bought a pencil. And I was like, well, then you don't want to write a book. So never tell me again you want to write a book because you don't want to write a book. You want to want to write a book. You want to think about writing a book. You don't actually want to write a book. Right, so. right. I think, yeah, I think that's true. I think like as much as I want, I think I want to paint or I want to do something creative like that. I haven't, I, well, I did buy paints and I bought canvases. Then I started to put the paint on the canvas and it was horrible. <laughs> and I remember you told me, play with the paints, get to know them, get to know that, like you talked about, get to know their texture, get to know how they mix, how they like just, have no intention of painting a thing, just have an intention of learning. So I still plan to go back to that, but I, um, yeah, I didn't get there at all. Yeah. Well, pick something, I mean, pick a flaw, pick, pick either a painting that you like, a little simple, very, very, very simple, or a tiny little fragment of a painting that you like, or go and pick something that you like in your house, a little ornament, or go outside and pick one flower or two flowers and put them in a vase that you like, and just try to paint mm-hmm. them. Right. Just try something very simple and say, nobody's going to say this and it doesn't matter if it's wick, if it's crap, it doesn't right. matter. Right. And then if you don't like it, then come back the next day and think, well, I don't like that. Why do I not like it? And maybe try to fix it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, well, maybe if I made that jug white instead of blue, it might look better or blue instead of white or I could put a little pattern on that. Maybe it's not very, I haven't painted that jug very well, but if I put a little pattern on it, it might improve it a little mm-hmm. bit. 
and then maybe look up you know other paintings of jugs and see how they did it and maybe we'll maybe put a black line around it or mm-hmm. whatever and just bit by bit you know maybe put the paint on thicker in that flower maybe make the flower bigger maybe make it small just you know just uh yeah I mean oh. it obviously like you first of all you went for you know you were educated in art and in, in painting and art and you also have painted for years so like you're you're well you're an artist but you're also a master at all of the tools you know what I mean like that's the thing I think that's why we admire artists so much because on the surface it like for the job I do right it's sort of tech and at work it's sort of um rolling out new technology helping people understand how to use it It, like there's not a level that that one gets to in my field that you look at the work that I the culmination of work that I've done and think she's a she's a master of that you know what I mean and I think that's one of the reasons we admire artists and and woodworkers and people who create things that we can see because we can see the mastery. I mean, there aren't a lot of them. It takes time to get there, but you can. You, there's something that you can visually see or touch. Yeah, I understand what you mean. And I think we were inspired, like, and it's good to feel inspired. I mean, even when like watching tennis players, we just had Wimbledon over here. Oh, right. And when I watch the te- people playing tennis and their brilliance, and you know, you know, they just hit that ball just inside the line. Oh, it's so good. They're so brilliant. And you know, that's, you know, they've gone, got up whenever they were little kids. I always think whenever they're little kids, their mummy's, da- mummy and daddy's taking them to all the mm-hmm. lessons and mummy's standing. So say my sister did with her kids, standing in the freezing cold, you know, playing the rugby, watching them, playing the tennis, whatever they're doing. And then wrapping them up and feeding them when they come back and they're whinging and they don't want to go this week. And, and taking them in the plane, maybe to go and practice somewhere else. All the years of the whole family, Right. working so that they can just come onto Wimbledon tennis court and just go pew, hit that beautiful shot and, right. and you feel really inspired by that mm-hmm. I think as human beings we feel inspired but whatever it is that inspires you whether it's I mean I get really inspired by a great chef watching people cook and everything oh, and so I try to cook and I try to get a little bit of that thing so I think whatever it is we all feel inspired by whether it's somebody right. dressing beautifully or dancing beautifully or playing or singing so great or all the things it's good to have that feeling because whenever you feel that call that is something in you calling you mm-hmm. say you could have that you want that you could have that and so if you just turn yourself towards it a little bit and think I want to feel like you maybe it's maybe it is painting with you maybe it's singing maybe it's speaking maybe it's mm-hmm. something but something is calling you something calls all of us right and I'm continuously called continually called towards towards things all the time is to to be the best, to give the best. And it's like, like Mary Oliver said, you know, I want to, what's that poem? She says, I don't want to have just visited this world. I want to be like the bridegroom. Something, I can't remember to quote the poem, but it's something like, you know, like the bridegroom that's wide, o- arms wide open to the world, you know, to love the world, to embrace the world like a bride. Right. And I think there's something inherent in the human being that calls us mm-hmm. towards that embrace. Right of life, of love, of the world. And when something calls you, like something's mm-hmm. calling you, like I can see you, you want to put the colors in your thing. And then I saw you on your Instagram, you were wanting to improve your cooking. You know, something was calling <laughs> you to, right. 
to, you know, to make the world that you live in and the food that you more delicious. And, you know, there was something calling you. So that's just, right. that's good. It's, you know, sometimes I think we feel inspired and then we think, oh, I'm, but I'm no good. Oh, this, that tennis player is brilliant, but I'm no good. But just join in his brilliance, just join his brilliance. So, let that little bit of brilliance, brilliance right. land in me, let it land in my heart, let it touch me and, and just say, yes, I, I want, but I sometimes think if you just look up in the sky and say, I want a little bit of that. I don't know just what shape it's in, but mm-hmm. I want a little bit of that. I think if you're open to it, just even at that point when it's calling you, because that's the call when you feel mm-hmm. that, that's right. the call, just open yourself up to it and it sort of comes into you. So It comes in so many different ways. Like I think about, you know, I, I think what you're saying, the way you, I like the way you say it about embracing the world, like with love. And I think I look at it more from the, I think probably the like goal oriented side of it, of like um, always trying to do our best, which I like yours much better. But I think about like a nurse at the hospital or, you know, uh, the person in charge of produce at the grocery store. Like there's that same level of, there's that same opportunity to bring that to that kind of job. I think we have it in everything we do. It, it's available. It's accessible in everything we do in life. And it's um, keeping our minds in that direction of like, how, how can I love this patient or how can I arrange the fruit or whatever it is that they're doing in a way that like honors like the, our life that we're in. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think we all have something to bring and we don't need to think, oh, I'm nothing, I'm not good enough, or I'm just plain, or Mm -hmm. I'm just uh, this person, I'm just that person. I mean, I was standing in a queue in the winter in a shop in a supermarket, and I had a couple of things, and there's a little old man in the queue in front of me with his shopping, and his lovely dress, his lovely little tweed coat on, a lovely little scarf, and um, I was just standing behind him nonchalantly, not thinking about anything, and he just turned around and said to me, go ahead, go ahead of me, dear. You go ahead, he says, get, pay your shop and go home and sit in, and, and sit in front of the fire. It was really snowing outside. It was mm-hmm. very, very cool. She get on home and sit in front of the fire. And I thought, Hi, you know, he's so gentlemanly. He's right. letting the lady go first. And he didn't want me to be out in the freezing cold. He wanted right. me to be home in front of the fire. And I told so many people about that man. I know. And I told somebody else, and I'm telling you in your podcast, and little would he ever think that that moment it meant nothing to him right. to say to me, it wasn't a big deal. I'm going to bless this woman's day. I'm going to show her love. I'm going to show her humanity. I'm going to be, it just was saying what was natural to him. Exactly. And that he's touched my life so deeply. Just at that moment, that was so freezing, <laughs> bitter, cold winter mm-hmm. day in the supermarket where there's not very much gladness going on. Just that love, that warmth. From him. So we all have something to bring in. You probably listened to your little man with the two sticks. Made his day that somebody, <laughs> a young, beautiful girl like you would listen to him and, Pay attention to what he was saying. So I think, yeah, we all have something to bring. And I think if you're faithful to whatever that tiny little step is or that tiny little sentence is or mm-hmm. that tiny little glance or that pat or that spending an extra time with somebody, or that moment when you're speaking to somebody to just open your heart to what they're really saying and take them in and let them feel that they're really being heard. All those subtle little things. Mm-hmm. Those are the journey. Those are the things that takes you towards being an artist, towards being the truest version of yourself, towards making the world a more beautiful and a, and a better place. Whenever I was young, I used to, for a short period of time, I was a fashion model and I used to fashion, do this walking catwalks in Paris and London. And I used to say, I don't know if you would even know these people like Naomi Campbell and yes, uh, we know all those kind people. of supermodels. <laughs> so I used to be on this catwalk with all of them. So that's one thing. And actually through that world, I met Princess Diana 
uh, Margaret Thatcher, she used to be the Prime Minister in Great Britain, and Bill Clinton. Oh my the, gosh. I met them, yeah, I met them all. And That's shook her hand. In fact, Margaret Thatcher met me and there was a lot, we were all like, just meeting all the models or something. And she sent her aide, so some young guy back, says, she wanted to meet me, to talk to me. And I said, um, I was very young, that's <laughs> dim. Like I wasn't trying to be, my friend said to me, you did what? And the guy says, oh, um, the Margaret Thatcher wants to speak to you. And I said, Right, well, tell her, be around after lunch. I'm hungry, you know, I'm going to have my lunch first, then I'll come around and see her then because I thought she's maybe somewhere for the whole day. But obviously, she's just passing through. I says, No, I'm going to have my lunch. So then he came back <laughs> about five minutes later, and his face was beetroot red. I thought, I probably, he's probably getting in trouble because he hadn't dragged me to the script <laughs> the night back to see her. And at the time, by the time he came back, I was actually talking to, I think it's Tony, Tony Christie. He was on some like it hot. That actor, oh. Ted Marlon Monroe, these are all old friends. And it was some film, film guy. And um, I was talking to him, he was a good crack. And the guy came back again with a big red face from Margaret Thatcher and said, um, she wants to meet you now. You know, she says, could you come now? And I said, right, okay. I said, tell her I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I didn't even know where she was. I thought it was fine. It was this massive, big, you know, the, the design show thing, and all televised and nonsense. I never met her. I mean, at the time I met her, decided I would go meet her. She was never done. I was like, what the heck did she want oh, me no. for? And why did she go ask twice to see me? And you and don't know. We'll never know. Yeah. And I met oh, Princess Diana and I was in a place. She was in, coming in to see this fashion house that I was working for. She's coming to look at her clothes. And the security had come and told us all to leave the place. We had to all leave at 11 o'clock or something. I was going, why do I have to leave? And I was going, they're mad. So I was exhausted. I've been up at a party. So I hid behind a big a big rail of clothes. I just lay down <laughs> at the room out the back and went to sleep. I thought, I'll just sleep. I'm not going to run around here walking around this big place. I'll just lie down and have a wee sleep. While they thought they were cleaning the place or putting new labels on. What they so they heard this noise. What's that? And good out. Princess Diana was in the room and they had cleared the place so she could come in by herself to look at the, it's like the size of a small shop, you know, these sort of, mm-hmm. so I said to her, Princess, what are you doing here? That was, and I spoke to her before she spoke to me. I said, what are you doing here? And she looked at me and says, what are you doing here? I just sort of laughed. I said, yeah, I work here. And she says, so I'm just down to look at this. I says, yeah, I work with, you know, the designer. Uh-huh. And she says, uh, I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm looking, I'm just going on some trip somewhere. I'm looking for clothes. I says, well, don't look at that lemon stuff. I said, I hate that. And I says, and stop buying those jackets with the big lapels. I says, buy a nice right next jacket, you know, this here. So we were chatting. We were getting on great. And she was lovely, you know, she was really lovely. And then in came David Emmanuel, her, her um, guy who designed her wedding dress. And he was so flipping pompous. And he was going, and I said to him, stupidly, I said to her, I said, I said, I said to uh, Princess Diana, don't be, um, don't wear that lemon because I hate that lemony color. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh no, I really like that. And I said, well, I'd rather have the powder blue. And he says, well, I would rather have the lemon. And I said, oh, right, okay. And I said, look, I'd just go on ahead here. And just from there, so what's the most? And I said, her cheerio. And she said, cheerio back to me. Because <laughs> we said, I don't know if you say cheerio in America, but we said right. it in here. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, she was lovely, yeah. And I like how like the, the theme of your life has been follow your inner voice. I think that's such a gorgeous father figure in my life. He was very strong. 
He was very handsome and very funny. He said, we think for yourself, never follow the crowd. Why would you listen to what anybody else says? You make up your own mind. Well, this has been, um, I knew it was going to be delightful when we arranged it. And I was so excited all week to get on the call with you. But it's um, been about a million times more delightful than I ever could have imagined. So thank you so much for joining me. Jane, you're so sweet. Thank you for saying that. Well, it's been really good fun for me. And thank you, as I said, for being such a good listener and asking good questions. I really appreciate those qualities that you have. And I hope you appreciate them too. Well, it's been lovely to be here. And I hope somebody will enjoy listening to our our chatter. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I have to admit, I was sort of lost in a fairy tale when I was doing the interview with Paloma. I get completely mesmerized in her storytelling. And I think if I had the opportunity to stand in front of one of her paintings, I would have that same experience. She just recognizes and pauses and sees all the beauty in everything around her every day. It's like built into who she is. And I liked listening to her stories and talking with her as a reminder to myself to look around, to stop and pause, to um, make sure that like the way that I create my life, the way I put myself together, the way I have my home, the way I am with others is always recognizing the specialness of everything. I hope you enjoyed this first in the artist series, and I look forward to bringing more of these amazing artists to you over the coming year. Thank you. So, are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining.